Good morning. It's so good to have each of you here in the house of the Lord today. We're continuing in our series of messages uh, that goes with the discipleship material we're working through, Experiencing God. And our focus in this discipleship is on knowing and doing the will of God. There was a time when it was common for a wife in her wedding vows to promise to love, honor, and obey her husband. I believe this is misguided. The biblical command to spouses is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And though the word submit is used often in discussions in the New Testament about husbands and wives, the word obey is reserved when speaking of children and their parents. When we consider our relationship with God, I think this model of child to parent better fits our relationship with God than spouse to spouse. We're not equals in this relationship. We are the children who must be led, and he is the father who lovingly and perfectly guides us in all wisdom. That's why obedience is the only model that makes sense for our walk with God. Let's see what Jesus had to say about it. Our memory verse this week is from John 14, verse 23. I'm going to take a verse before and after, 22 through 24. But before we start reading it, uh, and the emphasis this week is experiencing God through obedience. Before I jump into that, let me catch us up with what's been going on here in chapter 14 of John. Uh, John's gospel is different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I think the main difference is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are heavily drawing on an, a tradition of the teachings of Jesus, both of the events of his ministry and the actual sermons and teachings that he gave them. And I think that's the way rabbis trained their disciples at that time. They would repeat their teaching to them over and over and help them commit them to memory. And uh, also uh, things like parables or even certain events uh, of, of the ministry uh, would be memorized. So I think that's why in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, many things are repeated word for word identically or with very minor variations. That's why those three Gospels, the material is arranged very similarly in terms of the order of things. But John writes his Gospel to share what wasn't in the other Gospels, to share kind of his personal uh, recollection of Christ. And this chapter 14, these final chapters in John, where John talks about these conversations that occurred between Jesus and the disciples the night before he was crucified, uh, this was not the kind of material that they would have been going through over and over and committing to memory. This was simply the final evening, the conversations of that final evening. And John is the only gospel writer who tries to uh, give us his take on his recollection of those conversations that happened that final evening with Jesus. This chapter 14, well actually let me back it up to chapter 13. Chapter 13 uh, kicks the night off with Jesus uh, taking a, a wash basin full of water and a towel and binding it to his waist and kneeling before each of the disciples and washing their feet. And he starts the whole evening by making it clear that he has come to serve us, not the other way around. We have nothing to offer God that he needs from us. And he has something to offer us that we desperately need. This uh, symbolic act of cleansing 
uh, of removing the filth uh, from the disciples. Uh, that's, that's kind of a, a word, a, a picture uh, of what Jesus is going to do for the disciples at the cross. He's going to deal with the problem of our sin and cleanse us from it. So, uh, and, and Jesus says, this is the model for you. You receive from me, and I'm going to ask you to do the same for each other. Go out and serve as you have been served by me. That kind of starts the evening off. And then after this, Judas, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, and uh, that leads to Judas Iscariot leaving them. And he goes out to prepare for the arrest later that night. The rest of the evening is Jesus with the remaining disciples. And he tells them that he's going to be leaving soon, that he's going somewhere they can't come. And then he says, I have a new commandment to give you before I'm gone. Love each other the way I have loved you. And Peter doesn't, uh, doesn't pay much attention to that new commandment because he's still stuck on the bit about Jesus going somewhere without them. And he says, Jesus, where are you going to go that we can't go with you? I want to go with you. I don't know about these guys. I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, before dawn, you're going to deny three times you even know me. All of this is distressing information. Jesus is leaving. He's going somewhere. He's not taking them with them. And he's just told them that one of the most prominent among the 12 is going to fail miserably that very night and deny Jesus. It feels like everything is falling apart. And yet Jesus says, don't be troubled. You have faith in God. Do the same with me. Have faith in me. And then he starts talking about his father's home. My father has a home, and there are many dwelling places in that home. In fact, that's why I, I'm talking about leaving and going somewhere you can't go with me. The reason for all of this is that I have to prepare these dwelling places. And this is the only way to accomplish that. But if I go to prepare a place, I'm coming right back, and I'm going to be with you. And you're going to be with me. He says, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says, Jesus, we don't even know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So then Philip says, oh, great, Jesus, just show us the Father. That's all we need. And Jesus says, oh, Philip, I've been with you guys so long, you still don't get it, do you? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He says, what, what I'm about to do, what I'm doing is so that I and the Father can send to you the Holy Spirit. I'm not leaving you orphans. I'm not abandoning you. I'm coming back, and it's going to be in this different way. I am coming back through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the concluding thought before we get to the verses we're looking at. You will see me, but the world will not. You, by uh, receiving the Holy Spirit, you will, your eyes will be opened, and you'll see that, uh, that I'm here, but the world will be oblivious. And this is where we pick it up. Verse 22. Judas... Not Iscarius, 
Iscariot, I'm sorry, says to him, so this was another Judas, not the Judas that betrays Jesus. Lord, how is it that you are about to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And I think we can, we can understand why Judas would have this question because all the prophets had been talking about God sending uh, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace who would rule the nations with an iron rod, <coughs> who would rule until every uh, enemy is vanquished. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. And uh, he would uh, establish a rule over all of creation. <coughs> Bring an end to absolutely every single thing in all of creation that is not right. <coughs> uh, well, I've got one that's easier to get out of the wrapper. Okay. The expectation, I think, of Judas and probably all the disciples <coughs> was the Messiah is going to do something kind of like what we've seen already, kind of like Rome, kind of like the Caesar, but better. More impressive because it will literally be worldwide. The Romans claimed to have conquered the world, but they really hadn't gotten to the to the, to the furthest reaches of the world. It was a very large empire, but it didn't really encompass the whole world. There were still barbarians in some fringes of the Roman Empire. There were still uh, people who were not under Roman rule. Surely Jesus was going to do something a lot like that, but bigger. And how is he going to do that? How is his kingdom going to be superior <coughs> to the kingdom of the Caesar if the world doesn't even know it's there? <coughs> How, Jesus, are you going to reveal yourself to us <coughs> and not to the world? And this is a reality about the kingdom of God. It's a hidden kingdom. <coughs> God wasn't going to establish his kingdom the way we establish our kingdoms. And the kingdom of God is not built based on architecture, based on societal structures and governments. It's not based on uh, charismatic leaders. It's not based on all the kinds of things that our world's kingdoms are based on. The kingdom of God is going to function completely different from all of those things. It's actually going to function through relationships. Because God is interested, not just in sitting in his palace in some distant place up in heaven and just coolly surveying all of creation and from a very distant place governing creation. God is interested in being involved in creation with his creatures, specifically with humankind. God's plan was always to govern creation together with us, and his kingdom is about restoring that, bringing us back into this right relationship with him in which we are intimately, personally connected to him. And that's how his kingdom's going to work. What Jesus is about to do 
is going to make possible for people to enter into this kingdom of God and the way is, it's going to happen is by being given the Holy Spirit of God in our very lives and hearts. The world won't see it. It'll be completely hidden. But this is the kingdom. Every kingdom will fall. This one will remain until every enemy is vanquished. And we're told in the New Testament, until the final enemy, death itself, is vanquished. We're invited into this kingdom. But it is a kingdom that uh, some people see and some have no ideas there. Verse 23, and this is the memory verse. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make a dwelling place with him. There are a couple of uh, important things to note in this verse. First of all is the connection between love and keeping Jesus' word. Guarding it, obeying it. Love of Jesus implies obedience. Now, we might say, that's weird. I can love someone without obeying them. In fact, I can even love a wicked person, and I certainly don't want to obey that wicked person because he'll probably ask me to do wicked things. I'm not going to obey, but I can still love the person. Even, in, even if it's not somebody wicked, uh, even if I love my spouse, I can love my spouse, but that doesn't mean I just blindly obey everything my spouse tells me to do. We're in this relationship together, and there's kind of give and take both ways, and sometimes we do what the other says, sometimes we don't. How is our relationship with Jesus different? Well, it has to do with who he is. You see, our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with God is a unique relationship because he is unlike any other person we can have a relationship with. He made us. He fashioned us. He put us together and he alone knows not only how we work, but why we're even here to begin with. He alone knows what purpose we are meant to fulfill, why we exist at all. Surely the Creator alone knows that. Nothing else in creation is privy to that information. As Creator, as the one who designed us with purpose and function, as a God who made us to have purposeful existence, God alone knows exactly what we need to do. That is why the only way we can relate to him is obedience. The only way that makes sense to relate to God is obedience. So our love of God is going to demand that we obey him, that we do what he tells us to do, that we keep his word. And there's another interesting note here. My father will love him and we will come to him and make a dwelling place with him. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming into the heart of the person who loves Jesus and commits himself to obedience. I think this ties back to verse 2 of chapter 14 where Jesus says, In my Father's house, it's the same word in the Greek, there are many dwelling places. 
I, if I go and prepare a place, then I'm going to come back and bring you so that you, where I am, you can be. I think most often we read that wrong and we think Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to the Father and I'm going to heaven and in this other place, I'm going to be working on your house. I'm kind of a, uh, uh, doing construction work and I'm, I'm uh, involved in heavenly real estate. Uh, I've often heard people say that kind of thing about that verse. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. He is telling his disciples when he says, I'm going to go somewhere you can't come. I've got to get uh, go away from you, but I will return to you in the Holy Spirit. What I am trying to do by going to the cross, by dying for the sin of the world and rising victorious over sin and death, I am trying to make it possible for my Father's dwelling place to be you. I am preparing a dwelling place for the Father. And that dwelling place is your heart. The cross is the way I'm going to do that. So that when we love him and keep his word, Jesus and the Father love us and come and by the Holy Spirit make a dwelling place in us. Yes, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. They are all over the earth. The Father's house spans the world. And he dwells in so many of these places. And this was all made possible by Jesus going to the cross and accomplishing redemption. So if we love Jesus, and the only way to love Jesus is to commit ourselves to obey him, then God dwells in us. A common complaint for us as Christians, I think, is that we just sometimes don't see what God's up to. What's God doing? I'm not experiencing God at work around me. It seems like I'm just going about my life and I have no idea what God's up to. Maybe. It's that we're not loving him. And that because of that, we are experiencing the exact same blindness that the world around us is experiencing. For them, it's like God's not even here. He is here and at work constantly doing things all over the world, but they have no clue. And sometimes we as Christians are living the same way. We don't love. We don't keep his word. Let me suggest a couple of ways to maybe test ourselves and see where we are in terms of obedience to his word. Jesus told us when it comes to being worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, how you're going to provide for yourself, Jesus commanded, don't worry about these things. Here's what he commanded. Seek first God's kingdom and his rightness. And all this other stuff will be given to you. So let me ask, if you say, I don't see God around me, I don't see what he's up to. Have you put his kingdom and what he says is right at the top of the list in your life? Or is, or is he somewhere near the bottom? Do you have a lot of other things that are much more important that you're trying to pursue and devote yourself to than God's kingdom? And you try to cram God into the leftover corners of your life. Well, then you're not loving because you're not obeying. 
I love the way uh, Blackaby puts it in the material we're working through. If you have an obedience problem, you have a love problem. Jesus told us to love one another as he has loved us. Is that the way you love other people? Sacrificially? Honestly, giving of yourself whatever must be given for the good of the other person? Or is love for you what it is for so many people? It is a way to manipulate other people to give you what you want from them. Is love the word you throw out there to control another person? Or are you loving the way Jesus commanded us to love? I've mentioned some of the other things Jesus said only recently in sermons in past weeks. Have you renounced everything that is yours for Jesus? Or are you still holding on to your stuff? If we want to see what God's up to, we want to experience God at work in our lives, we have to love him. And the only way to love him is to obey. There is no other way. Verse 24, the one who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word you hear is not mine, but of the Father who sent me. So what does it mean if uh, we don't love Jesus, what's the evidence that we don't love Jesus? We don't keep his words. We don't do what he said. And Jesus, uh, this is a very clear theological point Jesus made. You know, you're going to know people by their fruits. And he's not talking just about how hard you work at something, but what comes out of your life is going to reflect what's inside. What comes out of your mouth is going to reflect what's in your heart. So if what comes out of your life is not obedience, you know why that's not happening? Because you don't love Jesus. There's no other way to explain it. Because if you did love him, if you understood how gloriously perfect and right he is in every way, how spectacularly good he is in every possible sense, then love could lead you nowhere but to obey. Because you know there's nothing about him you need to shy away from, nothing about him that, is, uh, d- that would demand of you that you step back and say, no, not that. The only way to love Jesus is to obey. And he reminds us, when I'm talking to you, the words I've given you, it's not just me, some guy that showed up one day and became yet another one of the great teachers, the great ethical teachers of the world. Jesus is not one of those. Everything he has been saying is simply the conveyed message of the Father who sent him. Sometimes we hear people say, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with God. I'm okay with some grand force out there, some destiny and great good thing out there. But man, Jesus, uh, he's a little too, too meddling. The things he demands of us, uh, I'm not willing to do that. I'm okay with loving God as this kind of spirit force. I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. 
But forget about Jesus. I don't want to keep his words. I don't want to do what he said. Well, Jesus says, what I'm telling you is simply the clear communication of that big God you're thinking about. There's not some other God. And Jesus is the clear communication of the one and only God that is out there to be known. We either listen to Jesus and heed his words. We either obey him and love him or we have nothing to do with the only God there is to be known. We can't have God without Jesus. We can't reject Jesus and get God in our lives somehow. My question to you is, have you experienced God in your life? Are you aware of what he's up to in the world? Are you aware of what he's up to in your life? Jesus said the world wouldn't see him, but those who love him would. Maybe if you aren't seeing God, it's because, let's be honest, you don't love him. The way you know whether you love God, the way we know whether we love God or not, is obedience. Am I obeying Jesus? Am I keeping his word? Or am I living my own life, my own way, and complaining that God isn't revealing himself to me? Let me challenge you today to obey Jesus, to radically reorient your life toward him. To pray daily for him to show you what he is doing and commit yourself up front. I will join you in what you are up to, Jesus. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what I have to change or adjust. I will be there where you tell me to be. If you want to see God, if you want to receive his love, obedience is the key that's going to unlock all of that for you. We're going to sing a song of invitation. This is your chance to respond to what God has said to you this morning through his word. Jesus is calling us not to be sympathetic to his cause, but to bend the need before him as Lord and God, and to love him in obedience so that he may pour his love back into us. Love is the only way, and obedience is the only way to demonstrate that love, to experience that love. But if we will love God, we will find that he returns to us his love, which is far greater. This is your chance. Uh, let's all stand. There are going to be people here at the front. If God has put a commitment on your heart today regarding Jesus, I want you to come forward during this time. Take the hand of one of the people that's here at the front. Just share with them whatever God has laid on your heart and let them pray for you. Uh, let's respond to God's word this morning. Thank you so much.